Hey there, film fans, and welcome to The Real Take. I love Ross Leahy. He's the best. Okay, mm -hmm. that was a bit weird. Let me try that again. Hey there, film fans, and welcome to The Real Take, the podcast where Ross Leahy has such amazing hair and knows so much about movies. Okay, not really sure what's going on. Ross Leahy is the best at everything. I do apologise. It's like... Everything I do is being controlled somehow by Ross Leahy is great. Oh, okay, that's it. Let's roll titles before any more weirdness happens. Sit down and grab a glass. Sinead, Ross and I'll have made a podcast. It's the real take, breaking it down. Having fun and talking movies. Talking movies. We've got you to say, Sinead. That was fantastic. <laughs> We've gotten to the bottom of it. Ross, who has aspirations of being a writer, somehow he has, you know, some sort of messed up control over what I was saying in the intro there. But it's all okay. <laughs> it is the real take the podcast by film fans for film fans. And this week it's another spotlight episode. And it's Mr. Ross Leahy's pick. And you might have guessed it there from a little clues that I left in our intro. <laughs> Ross, <laughs> why don't you tell friends. everybody what your pick is this week? I went for a movie that I think maybe went under the radar a little bit when it was released back in 2012. And that's uh, Ruby Sparks starring Paul Dano and Zoe Kazan. There's a lot of similarities between this film and all of Ross's other picks because today <laughs> we're going to be talking about Ruby Sparks, as you've said. But this is the tale of a young man living in an opulent house who doesn't need to worry about money and has a very inappropriate relationship with a woman. So... <laughs> We're oh, really, we're really getting into Ross's psyche, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> we really are getting into Ross's psyche. Before we give our opinions, though, Niall, just I know, mm. I'm like yourself, we're, we're chomping at the bit to give our views on this. You know, as we do in, in all Spotlight episodes, this is kind of an in-depth look, let's say, at a movie that we feel, as you rightly said, Ross, kind of went a little bit under the radar. And... I remember seeing the trailer for this back uh, when it was coming out. What was it, 2012? And yep. um, thinking, oh, well, I love Paul Dano. And mm. I think this looks kind of interesting. But I don't know why, for some reason, I didn't get to see it. It just must have went out of cinemas too quickly or something for me. So I was eager to get stuck in. But this obviously struck a chord with yourself. Yeah, I was the very same. I, I'd seen the ads come up. And it wasn't in cinemas for ter for a terribly long time either. And I don't think a lot of people, you know, really had had, had watched it. Um, but for me, it was one that I enjoyed. I, I remember seeing the trailer and thinking, oh, that's interesting. Um, an interesting, uh, interesting uh, kind of plot. Um, yeah. yeah, an interesting premise for um, for a film. And it got me interested there. Sinead, you had seen the trailer, but hadn't seen the movie. Niall, had you come across this before? I had, uh, and I was a big fan of Little Miss Sunshine and loved that. And um, I remember when this was coming out, as you say, there was a big gap between it, uh, between Little Miss Sunshine and this coming out. And um, I remember, I think, not going, oh, I have to go and see it in the cinema. And I don't know why that was. And then I think, because I rewatched it, obviously, for this episode, but uh, I had not... Uh, 
I hadn't watched it all the way through, I think. So I was I was really uh, grateful for the uh, excuse, I suppose. Excuse mm. is not the word, but the opportunity, <laughs> the opportunity to rewatch it for this and maybe think about it a little bit more than I had when when I had seen it the first time. Sinead, this was your first time watching it. Yeah, no, hadn't hadn't seen it before. And I, I really do love Paul, Paul Dano. And I think his career has taken kind of an interesting route. You know, uh, like you said, I would have seen him before in Little Miss Sunshine. That's up there. One of my top favorite movies. I love that movie. And then the one that I'd seen him straight after that was actually uh, There Will Be Blood, which could not be any mm. different to yeah. these kind, this kind of character and also kind of the character um, from Little Miss Sunshine. Like he's a... He's a different sort of neurotic, isn't he? <laughs> and yeah. little, little Miss Sunshine. But, uh, and then of course now with the Riddler, like, I mean, he's he's really proving that he can sort of take on any any role. But this was, I felt, really interesting. Um, probably uh, one of his first roles where he's kind of taken on the, the lead character, I'd say, in, mm. in a movie as well, because before this, he would have been an excellent supporting uh, cast. Um, so you're talking what 2012 and like that um i just i don't i can't under i don't know why but i didn't get to see it in the cinema it was like it was only out for a little while and it was gone so i was really eager to get stuck back into it so myself and derek watched it last night um in anticipation for recording this episode yeah i to tell you a little bit about what the the, the movie is about uh, what the movie is about Paul Dano who of course we all know now is the Riddler um, <laughs> he's playing uh, Calvin Weir Fields who is this like extremely anxious novelist um, he was one of these guys who had huge success really early on um, like when he was still a teenager he had released his first novel and it was really really highly regarded and acclaimed and we see him now he's in his late 20s and he's been somewhat riding that wave of, of kind of success for a long time. He spends most of his time like attending book signings and interviews and stuff like that. But in the intermediate years, he hasn't really done much, um, you know, as much creativity. Um, he, he's written a few short stories, but that seems to be all he's done. Um, so he's dealing with a lot of anxiety following on from his first novel um you know and this is a novel for which a lot of people consider him a genius so it's like the it's like the very difficult second album or something for him um he, obviously the the expectations are massively high as well as that he's also broken up from a you know a five year relationship and he has a lot of problems getting over that and dealing with that um what doesn't help is the fact that he isn't so great socially with other people uh, he doesn't have much in the way of friends. The only really people we see him interact with on a social level are Steve Coogan, who plays Langdon Tarp, who's like a, a sleazy novelist uh, friend of his who he first met when he, he published his first novel. Um, and we also have his brother, Harry. He's played by Chris Messina. Um, and credit where credit is due. This is a real older brother looking after his younger brother sort of thing. He is very much more normal, <laughs> or less neurotic, uh, say, than Calvin. And he tries his best to keep Calvin on a pretty even keel, you know, gets him out of the house, brings him to the gym, hangs out with him on a semi-regular basis, trying to keep him from getting too in himself. You know, I feel like he's the kind of guy who'd be very insular and destructive maybe if it wasn't for someone like his brother Harry maybe you know putting an arm over him and kind of helping him out through stuff like this 
Um, as well as that, he has weekly visits with his psychiatrist, who's played by Elliot Gould. And that's where really we see him letting a lot of his neuroticism kind of flow out. Um, and I have a feeling that Elliot Gould, his psychiatrist, feels like he isn't really getting much headway with this particular patient. Uh, it's kind of during all this that Calvin begins having these like charming, me cute dreams about a woman. Um, and it's it's very much Calvin's idea of a dream woman. Um, but because of this, when he wakes up, he realizes he's kind of found his muse. And he once again, he he's found his appetite to write. Uh, and before we know what's happening, he has pages and pages kind of flooding out uh, of his typewriter. Uh, all about this imaginary woman he saw in his, his dreams. He's really invigorated by her and he's writing again. And um, as he later tells his psychiatrist, Elliot Gold, he enjoys writing so much because he gets to spend time with this fictional character he's created. But the character of Ruby Sparks, I think, is very interesting because it's a there's a lot of problems with her. Um, I'll give you a little kind of quote that he says to a psychiatrist about Ruby Sparks. Ruby Sparks, 26 years old, raised in Dayton, Ohio. Why Dayton? Sounds romantic. Ruby's first crushes were Humphrey Bogart and John Lennon. She cried the day she found out they were already dead. Ruby got kicked out of high school for sleeping with her art teacher, or maybe her Spanish teacher. I haven't decided yet. Ruby can't drive. She doesn't own a computer. She hates her middle name, which is Tiffany. She always, always roots for the underdog. She's complicated, that's what I like best about her. Ruby's not so good at life sometimes. She forgets to open bills or cash checks. Her last boyfriend was 49. The one before that was an alcoholic. She can feel a change coming. She's looking for it. Looking for what? Something new. <laughs> does that sound like a real person to you? I'm not sure if it does. It sounds like... Well, it sounds like a manic pixie dream girl uh, to me. Um, and for those of you who don't know, a manic pixie dream girl is this type of female character who's depicted as like being quirky, uh, to a but appealingly quirky. And usually their main purpose in a movie is to kind of inspire a greater appreciation for life in a male protagonist. And I think that's what she definitely serves in this in this film. Um, so you, you might look at the likes of maybe Zoe Deschanel or something like that, or even um, even uh, the character in Elizabethtown. You know, that's the kind of character that a Manic Pixie Dream Girl is. So he's obviously fantasizing about a Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Um, the movie does point this out, like it points out that this is a problem. Calvin gives his brother, um, who again is more a much more grounded version of Calvin, uh, he gives his brother his notes to read. And his brother tells him, like, straight, look, quirky, messy women whose problems only make them more endearing are not real. Uh, and he's dead right. Uh, what Calvin has done is he's written himself a completely quirky male fantasy. Um, the only thing is, uh, he wakes up one morning and she is indeed real and living in his house. And the situation, you know, so he obviously he created a woman from fiction. She becomes real. And the situation becomes even more complicated when, like Sinead at the start of our podcast, <laughs> he realises he can control her life by writing more of her story. And, you know, what does it mean 
basically are the kind of questions coming up. What does it mean when Ruby, um, his idealized woman, is actually interacting with him and the and the outside world? And what does it mean when she starts gaining her in, own independence? Um, brings in questions about control and uh, and and so much more. Um, obviously, there's a lot of themes to unpack in this, and we will get to that in a little bit because I kind of want to give you a bit of an idea about where the movie came from first. So Ruby Sparks, as I said, it came out about ten years ago, and it and it it, it was directed by um, uh, American directing duo Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Farris, and that duo really. Um, have made themselves known back in 2006 with Little Miss Sunshine, which Paul Dano also starred in. Um, before that, they had been known really as being um, music video directors, and they've done a huge number of really popular music videos in the past for the likes of Red Hot Chili Peppers, Smashing Pumpkins, OEM, Extreme, Jane's Addiction, and loads, loads more. Uh, but apparently, they had left such a big gap like six years is a pretty sizable gap, after, especially after Little Miss Sunshine was so well received. Um, but apparently they left that gap because they were just waiting for the right script. And in their opinion, that right script in this case came from actress Zoe Kazan. And she is obviously playing the, the titular character Ruby Sparks. Um, so Zoe Kazan, before, um, before Ruby Sparks, she would have seen her in the likes of The Savages, me and Orson Welles, Revolutionary Road, and it's complicated. Always in kind of more small roles, I would have said, but she definitely comes from good scriptwriting stock. Her mother, Robin Sweetcord, um, adapted a load of movies, the likes of Memoirs of a Geisha and The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Her father, Nicholas Kazan, he wrote Bicentennial Man, and uh, her, her uh, parents together co-adapted Matilda, um, from 1996 for the big screen so there's a history of script writing and screen adaption in her family um, and for her part as well um, she said when it came to this story she was inspired by the Greek myth of Pygmalion uh, in which a sculptor falls in love with a statue which he has carved uh, Dan, uh, Paul Dano as well is her real life partner and she wrote the character of Calvin with Paul Dano in mind. I'm not sure now. It's <laughs> Bit really of a life imitating art situation here. Yeah, <laughs> like having this controlling kind of loser character, you know, being written in mind with you. I'm not sure if it's exactly a, a compliment. So that's the kind of story and how it came about. A lot to unpack in this, I think. So what was the verdict? Niall, do you want to go first? No, you go first, because I want to hear what Derek thought about it as well. Well, Niall, do you know the way Ross hates to just go with a movie? He doesn't even get to the suspend or disbelief part. He will full on kind of say, go out of his way to look for faults. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, well, he's going to get it now, right, in this. Because what in the stranger than fiction adaptation secret window kind of movie is this? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I think you know for for a guy who just loves you know he he'd like, he loves a he loves a good nitpick you know uh, mm-hmm. he can't and, and this is a movie where you have to completely suspend your disbelief let's be honest because you know he literally creates a character and she arrives in his house um but you know to be clear this is not me hating on Ruby Sparks but Ross straight just to you know stranger than fiction. <laughs> The excellent movie starring Will Ferrell from 2004 is about a writer who's suffering from writer's block 
She can't finish her novel. It's Emma Thompson who's the, the writer in mm. question in this. She writes a story about Harold Crick, played by Will Farrell, who just so happens to be alive and walking around in society. He <laughs> then becomes aware that it's, you know, all a bit weird when he starts hearing a woman who is Emma Thompson narrating his life. So she's the writer in this, you know. So this is kind of stranger than fiction in reverse because we have a writer with writer's block who dreams up a character, starts to write about her, and then she appears in his apartment and then apparently they're dating. And just to put it out there, stranger than fiction came out first. But... It did. (laughs) um, This movie, I think, uh, I, I... would say wouldn't have worked without the, the really great cast that you have here because Paul Dano is excellent as this kind of troubled, you know, tortured genius, Calvin, you know, he's desperate for love. And I think it's an excellent casting choice in this. Um, Zoe Kaz- Kazan, uh, kooky, funny, spontaneous, everything you want in a fantasy girlfriend until she starts, you know, to develop a mind of her own. Um, <laughs> I did enjoy watching them on screen. They obviously have, you know, great chemistry and their their romance is played out really well. I thought the section where they go to Big Sur mm. uh, to visit his parents, well, his, his mother and her new partner or his stepdad or whatever, um, you have Annette Benning in there as the mother and Antonio Banderas as Mort, this kind of... Uh, crazy character that uh, wears dungarees with no top. And he is the stepdad. He's the stepdad everybody wants. Yeah. Really yeah. Great characters, but I kind of thought that section was a bit unnecessary. And yeah. like, I kind of thought it was raising questions like, why does Calvin not really like Mort? It doesn't really kind of like why do almost... you not like Antonio Banderas yeah I like, think giving you furniture in. to bring home he's bringing a, an amazing <laughs> chair and like he was just a bit yeah. of a, a dry shite throughout the whole thing and sort of he is a bit of a dry you know, shite but I think that's maybe why he doesn't like Antonio Banderas because he says later on that his his mother used to be like a, a boring suburban mam you know and that that's how she wants how, how he wants her yeah, yes. you know what she I mean. Up, yeah. Then when, when she did, you know, split up from the the father, or when the father passed away, I'm not sure what happened to the father, but she went off with this guy and seemingly had a big personality change. Maybe mm. I think it was just being more to, true to yes. what she actually yeah, is like in real life. Was. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, yeah, she's I she's essentially that you know he doesn't want her to be like that because that's what Ruby's like, isn't that it? You know, she's the kind of whimsical, spontaneous, I'm cookie, mm. I'm out there kind but of thing. But that's what he wants at the start. Sorry, I'm I'm gonna let you finish. I'm no, no, gonna you're okay. let you finish. I'm like Kanye West up there. <laughs> <laughs> let you finish. Um yeah, there's a lot to talk about in this film. There really is. But mm. yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, so you know, uh so you're kinda you're I, that section, I would have loved it if Harry blurted out the secret because Harry the brother is the mm. one that he sort of brings in and tells him listen I've created this girl she's arrived in my house I- I'm telling you it's real and that section where the two of them uh test out the theory and he you know he goes upstairs and he he makes her uh say Speak speaking French, French. <laughs> well, not realized. I thought that was brilliant and when they go into the car there's a great scene in the car after they have all have dinner together and he meets Ruby for the first time Harry does um they go out into the car and they have this like what the hell just happened moment and it's a real kind of brotherly moment but i would have loved it had he blurted out the secret in big sir i think that would have just brought it somewhere else that might have been interesting but maybe that's just me um and i have to say i did i did like the character of harry uh played by uh chris, chris messina yeah, yeah absolutely brilliant um 
I mean, it gets, and I think maybe we might circle back to this after after you say maybe Niall what you thought, but um, I like you know I did find it disturbing, particularly towards mm. the end. Oh, hugely um, so. Yeah. yeah. So maybe I don't know. We might circle back to that that part of it, but Niall, what what did you reckon, or what was your thoughts on yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, like I say, I I think I might have caught it or rented it and fallen asleep, but I didn't have a huge kind of memory of this film. So when Ross said we're going to do this for a spotlight, I was going great, lovely. Um, so they say right about what you know, and as you were saying there, Sinead, there are a lot of films about writers and writers' uh, creations coming into real life. You know what I mean, and them having to deal with them. Um, and I thought this, uh, this was a really very interesting film about a writer like Paul Dano is the protagonist or his character i should say calvin is the protagonist of this film but really it's zoe kazan's film because not only did she write it and play ruby sparks but she produced it as well and kind of was one of the driving forces about this being made um so like ah i mean there's so much that i don't like about calvin right (laughs) he lives he lives in a house that's fantastic and he's miserable he not only is his house fantastic but there's no character to it and i suppose this is this is the point like a lot of the things that i'm going to say about uh my feelings watching this film i think are intentional you know i think it is either zoe kassan or the directors or whoever kind of going we've made this choice specifically so like he lives like he lives in this white like it's a beautiful house but it's all white and there's mm. nothing there. like the only bit of his character is this typewriter where he writes and it seems to be a magical typewriter as we find out because you know he can he can conjure people out of nowhere but it just seems so hipster it just seems oh. so affected doesn't it you know what i mean so first that's straight about straight away i'm going oh no um so he he has this fantastic house he lives there but he's not happy And he's not happy because of this relationship that he had that didn't go anywhere. And it seems to be that it didn't go anywhere because he had this fantastic success when he was 19, I think. I think he's 28, 29 when this film uh, starts. And he just hasn't been able to recreate that, you know. And not only that, but he has this hugely supportive family who are around him. Not Mm. only his brother, Chris Messina, who is a little bit of a bro isn't he let's face it (laughs) you know what i mean but he's aware of that he is going i have the i think is it sophia his wife i'm not sure what the character's name is oh suzanne or something yeah and he's going like when he finds out when when calvin uh tells him that he has been able to manifest this ideal woman out of nowhere um or has written i should say first of all this ideal woman he reads his his manuscript and goes this is not the reality of a relationship mm. even though he is the broy brother who's going you got to get out there you got to meet women you got to sow your wild oats you got to do all this he still has the common sense to go no this is not what a real relationship is life like and he then talks about his relationship with his wife and they have a kid together and he just goes I, I don't know uh, from one day to the other what she's going to be like. She could come in and do this and do that. And you kind of feel, okay, right, you're being a bit of a bro. But still, like, that's, like, at least he has more of a, of a, uh, 
a grip understanding on uh, understanding yeah. a grip on what a real relationship is like. Mm. Um, I I felt watching this film, and I I really liked it. I did. Um, I felt it was like a Black Mirror episode that was like mm. half an hour too long, and maybe that scene that you're talking about with uh, I don't know. You're saying you want to see more of the of the family. Um, I could have. No, I I'm saying I could, I could, have, I could have done without the scene unless, like, make it a little bit more exciting. Like, I felt that you know, like you could take out that whole big sir, and there's yeah. probably no need for it there. But if they were going to do it, maybe have Harry almost or even right. say it or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. I just felt like I mean, and maybe it is a case of the black mirrorification of the media we consume now everybody is just a bit like yeah i got i got it okay he made a woman from nowhere that's grant yeah. i know it we don't need to see like a 20 minute scene of them go oh my god i can't believe i made a woman from nowhere you know what i mean a whole thing it's like we're just now we're ready for stories like that um and uh i so so i thought maybe it could have lost some time but i was still really happy to watch it as a movie because by the end of it and I have a lot to say about the ending scene. Um, I I did think at least there was an arc there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, and I thought Zoe Kazan was brilliant. I would have liked to have seen, if I, if I have a problem with the film, is that Paul Dano is the main character. And I don't know how you make a, a character who's just not real or who, well, she is real, but she's manifested out of his ma imagination. Um, I don't know how you put, but I would have liked to have seen more of her. It seemed like she was just there to be a puppet, and that's maybe the point of it. But I would have liked to have seen maybe a scene where it's like I don't want to be a puppet. You know what I mean? Mm. Just one scene between the two of them, and like they they are partners. You know what I mean? They're married now and they have kids, and you know obviously they've been together for a long time. And I just wonder, especially about the ending scene, if he was let off the hook. If Calvin was just let off the hook in that ending scene because he did some terrible things, especially in yeah. the scene that I think you were referring to. Mm. Mm. Yes. It is an interesting one as well. And I actually think when it started off, and especially with the adverts, uh, you know, the trailers, and they often give a different version of the film that you that ends then the, the final product actually is. Oh, totally people, in this case, I'd say, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like if you if you see something like funny people, you see the trailer, you're like oh, it's a Judd Apatow mm. comedy. You go to see it, you're like, actually no, it's 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 a serious movie. It's the same. It's it's a midlife same crisis case. movie, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the same with this, but it takes a very dark turn near the end. And I think the reason why I'm glad they didn't reveal in Big Sur that you know the 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 brother didn't blurt out that you know she was a fictional character or something like that was because we had that scene where basically. Um, Zoe Gazan's character starts to gain independence, starts hanging out with other people, um, not, you know, relying on him. And I think the, it's a very problematic relationship there. He definitely has this controlling element to him. But when she starts to, you know, hang out with her, other people, want to follow her own passions and, and uh, you know, pursue her own goals, that's when he starts to take a more controlling turn. There is a very dark scene, uh, which we've kind of mentioned already, where he reveals to her that look i'm controlling you and here's here's what i can make you do and it's he makes her you know speak french and dance and bark like a dog and it's very intense and upsetting 
and there's a real horror movie element to that part and i wonder if that had been introduced maybe a little bit earlier or if he'd you know it was we could see the change coming in him but if he had maybe um racked up the tension by doing more unethical stuff earlier as opposed to this one sudden you know change not change of character because we could see it was coming but nearly if he had tested the waters with with how far he was willing to go with it maybe i, I think it would have been a better movie and the the horror elements there would have been more prominent which I, which i think was the most interesting part of this here's a clip of of that scene what is this my book Is this some sort of joke? No. It's pretty serious. You're writing about me? No, you can't write about me. That's private. I'm not writing about you. I wrote you. I made you up. What? I had a dream about a girl. I wrote it down. I gave her a name. Ruby. I wrote all kinds of things about her, and then one day I woke up and she, you, were living in my house. I can make you do anything because you're not real. You're sick. Calvin, listen to me. This is how you think about people, then you are in for a long, lonely, fucked up life. Do you hear me, Calvin? Je te jure te ferai mieux de. think you're absolutely Ross uh, you're absolutely Ross right you're absolutely <laughs> right Ross that that like that scene is from a horror film mm. essentially and it kind of reframes the rest of the movie like the scene between Chris Messina as his brother Harry and Calvin Paul Dano in the car when like he, he, he explains I like, can make her do whatever he wants and Harry's going oh this is fantastic that's from uh, a 90s comedy essentially yes. yeah you know yeah. what I mean? Whereas this makes you reframe everything that you've seen before that scene. Oh, it totally does. And it, like, I hated Calvin by the end. And mm. I have a lot of problems at the end. Like, I think, okay, right, fair enough. He, he writes the book. I, I actually just, I really just want him to be fucking actually miserable, you dickhead. Like, do you know what I mean? That's <laughs> I was quite angry towards him because it is. I mean, I know, like, I mean, I wonder as well, right? This is 2012. 
you know, this is a couple of years before Me Too movements and all of this stuff that's coming out in Hollywood about the treatment of women. I wonder, you know, how this would be received. Would this even happen in terms of, you know, today? How would this movie be received, you know? I actually, but, that's very I interesting, yeah. It would be better received now, you know, because I think people would be like, look, control, you know, that sort of thing. Oh, I, I get you. As no, but, 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 I, I mean, is Sinead talking about, like, that last scene, though, I wonder. Yeah, but because to me, scene, I'm think... gonna I'm gonna talk about that last scene because I think that last scene redeems him. Do you know what I mean? That last scene makes um, and there's a reading of the film where you could go, no, you're wrong, Noel, and I'm not exactly sure because it's not made implicit in the film. Uh, he he has this this experience, and mm. again, spoilers after that kind of horrific scene that we, we talked about, um, he gives her her freedom. He emancipates her. And then processes everything that he's gone through and writes a book about it and goes to his therapist, played by Elliot Gould, and uh, gives him a copy of that book. And Elliot Gould was the person, as you said, Ross, that kind of said uh, this was the writing exercise that got him on the path to creating mm. Ruby and kind of starting the, the uh, film itself. And he's back in a scene that we had kind of seen played earlier on uh, walking his dog Scotty in the park and who does he come across except Ruby Sparks and part of me is going okay well he's got the happy ending there that he wants because he's emancipated this character that he's created uh, but also part of me is going he's only going to make exactly the same mistakes mm. and even yeah. if he can't uh, control her by writing on his magical typewriter, he's still going to be the narcissist that we've seen all the way through this film. So in a way, I'm kind of going, I just would have liked to have seen that a little bit more in the film, as opposed to you could come away from that going, ah, but he learned his lesson and now he's a nice fella. Oh, I definitely don't think he learned his lesson at all. No, I don't think so. But no. I think I think some people could come away from that going, ah, now, isn't yeah. that great now? Yeah. Yeah, no, and I totally, I, I get what you're saying. Absolutely, people could definitely read that. And I think for me, I was kind of going, well, the fucking least he could do is make her go free because Jesus, like, this is horrific. He's making her be like yeah. a dog. It was just, that was really awful actually to to, to look but, at. Yeah. Um, and to kind of, you know, see, like, it's it's crazy. Like, I have to remind myself, a woman wrote this, a woman wrote this, a woman wrote this, you know what I mean? Um, but, uh, and, like, when she can't, like, she goes to leave and she's being whipped around, like you say, that kind of whole horror movie bit. Um, but then, of course, at the end, I'm kind of going, it, it's, it reminded me a little bit of my other favourite movie of all time, Eternal Sunshine, The Spotless Mind, where, you know, even when, say, they go through this whole process, you know, are they just destined to be together anyway and still make all the mistakes they're going to make? Um, and I, yeah, I just, I just felt like, talk about, you know, plagiarism, plagiarism sparks. That's what we should call this. I just yeah. felt there was a lot of robbing, like from different movies, as opposed to actually kind of, you know, paying homage as well. So there was a couple of problems I had with it. In saying that, I still enjoyed it and Derek enjoyed it, but he completely, um, guessed what was going to happen in it as well he was like oh i bet you this happens um he's very good at that though so don't ever bring him to any movie um <laughs> where there's a twist or anything he always gets the twist um but uh yeah i he he enjoyed it as well but at the end he kind of felt ah oh, 
Calvin was a bit of a dick at the end, you know, and he kind of was yeah. like, right, well, that was that. I don't think I want to see it again necessarily. You know what I mean? Mm. I would have felt a lot better if the ending scene he had seen her in, you know, in the park or whatever with Scott and just kind of got the fuck out of her. <laughs> I would have loved if yeah. he had seen yeah. her with somebody else. Yeah. Well, went, that's it. You know, or, you know, they had the scene, they had the film exactly where it ended. But then and she went, oh, and by the way, here's my boyfriend. Yes. And he comes in. You know what I mean? Mm. Um. So, yeah, yeah. Or leave it on a uh, cliffhanger. Scotty goes over and he's like, should I go? <laughs> and oh, I don't know. Oh, I think, yeah, I that's don't good even there. know about cliffhangers, really. I, I mm. saw a, a play recently and uh, I was talking to the director uh, after and I went I didn't like how it ended because it seemed like this was going to happen and she went oh we wanted but it didn't we wanted to make it ambiguous and it's like no you didn't make it ambiguous you, you <laughs> led up to that like when you leave ambiguity there you kind of go you let people it's not that even that you let people read into it but you leave the option open which yes. in a way sometimes it's not it's not what you want, you know. Kind of cheating you, sometimes as well. It is a little bit. Yeah. It's like trying to trying to yeah. have your cake and eat it. Yeah. 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 Um, I thought it was interesting because Kazan was saying, you know, and as you said, written by a, a woman. I think if a man wrote it, it might have been weird science, <laughs> but. Um, you know, but Kazan was saying when she wrote it, it, it was kind of exploring the idea of, of being gay, like gazed at or looked at, but never being seen. Um, so it's it's about maybe someone falling in love with the idea of a person or reducing well, a person yeah, down to yeah. an idea. And that, that happens a lot. And I wonder now, because I felt what the film was missing and I did like it. What the film was missing was a scene where um, where Ruby had a little more autonomy, where there was something between her and Calvin where there was a little bit like, I feel this or I feel that. Because every time it seemed like she was becoming her own person, he would get to his typewriter and change her. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. The only time we really see that is where she's hanging out with some new friends and mm. she's staying late at a yeah. bar and is a bit annoyed. Uh and I maybe would have liked to have seen her out interacting with other people, you know? Yeah, mm. definitely. Doesn't Paul Dano's character seem like the kind of guy that if he didn't write his successful novel, he may have, you know, shot up a school? Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Where, Paul Dano plays that like, kind of character well. Yeah, he seems but lovely this is what I was say. So, yeah. He plays it well, but um, mm. do we... I mean, I'm sure he, do, he is lovely in real life, but I think he is very much... You look at certainly like he's obviously best known now as the Riddler in the Batman, but he always had that, didn't he? Even yeah. in There Will Be Blood and Little oh, Bit yeah. Sunshine, like he's that introvert. You kind of go, this character is on a path where he could shoot up school, or he could, <laughs> uh, you know, be the nice character that we all uh, that we all he like from that film. Energy about him where he, like, he's introverted, but you also feel there's an arrogance as well to his mm. characters and a threat yeah yeah 100 mm. percent. and like just when we we're talking about the ending there like you know two kind of nicely cutely wrapped up in a bow and i'd have to say the same is could be said about stranger than fiction and for that one complete spoiler alert now i'm sorry but i think harold crick should have died in that one as well do you know what I mean? Don't be wrapping things up. Oh, he just got knocked down. It's grand. We're able for it. That's studio yeah. interference going yeah. on. Can we have mm. a happy ending, please? Yeah, exactly. Can exactly. we have a meet cute? Although I do think, now from what I said about my problems at the ending, I do think it's open to interpretation. And I think the best interpretation is that they met cute at the end 
because Scotty came up and nuzzled her or whatever. And they had a horrible relationship then. Yeah. And, you know, because he's not, I think you're right, Ross, he's not, he's a narcissist. He's a control freak. And writing a book is not going to change him, you know, unfortunately. Mm. So... But aren't all writers narcissistic? <laughs> well, they ha- kind of have to be. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's interesting. This brings up the idea as well, because obviously he's a writer uh, in the movie and he's he's writing this kind of dream character. But when you think about it, movies, they do reduce people down to ideas. Like you have, you know, the the jock, the cheerleader, the the bad boy, the hopeless I don't know romantic. What movies you're watching, Russ? <laughs> that sounds yeah. like teen movies there. I know teen movie, yeah. But then you have like you know the the anti-hero who's you know like they're reducing like stereotypes down, yeah. yeah down to ideas and like it's it's a movie about that but it's it's kind of it, it kind of like gets you thinking about how hollywood does this like they, they were saying about the manic i was saying about the manic pixie dream girl thing which is kind of what zoe kazan's character in this is i think she kind of rejected that description she said it's kind of reductive and stuff like that but that's the kind of character that he created from from her and you know when when you look at any character on a screen it's someone's i i like it's their ideal of a person mm. Mm. that's true i mean i i would have seen and i haven't probably read as much about about it as you but uh, i would see this as her reaction to uh, to being an actress going for going to audition for all of these manic pixie dream girl parts that would have been like i don't even think the manic pixie dream girl was a new idea when this movie came out do you know what i mean so i would imagine her going to audition after audition after audition where it's like oh i'm just there to be like kooky and crazy and look at my fringe and oh you know um and then she wrote this film yeah and she wrote this film as a response to it and that's that's Mm. fantastic you know um but uh yeah i mean look i mean you can't get the full depth of human <laughs> human existence into a two-hour film unfortunately or mm. a book or anything really you can, all you can do is see elements of yourself in in these works of art and then go yes i identify with that or i see myself in that or I, i'm seen in that or whatever you know yeah i think with this movie as well you could have made two different movies about this. You could have made an all-out comedy, which we see a bit of with the relationship mm. and the brother, and like, oh my god, you could make a boobs bigger stuff. Like, you could have made a comedy. Typical that bloke. Way. Well, that <laughs> know, would be yeah, weird. That, weird the, science for the the new millennium. Yes, yes, essentially. Yeah. Or like, it kind of tried to mold that in with the darker elements. I think you could have made a much darker movie as well, which I feel would have been a better route to go down, uh, maybe. But they've kind of done a an in between. But with that, I gotta say, I still enjoyed it. Oh yeah, oh, no, I I did as well, yeah, and I really enjoyed um getting to kind of like I say, I think I might have fallen asleep watching the first time because maybe I think <laughs> I expected something more like Little Miss Sunshine when mm. when I had seen it, you know. So I did, and look, the fact that we have so much to or I have so much to say about it, or ideas about it, that means it's a it's a good film. Oh yeah, definitely, I'd I'd agree as well. I mean, it's I I thought it was you know really good despite the problems you know and like that i think like you're saying ross you know it's kind of the tone like what tone is it trying to strike you know i mean it is a bit of a surprise how far he goes in terms of that scene that we're talking about i mean we know that he's kind of he's edging closer but when he does actually do it you're kind of going oh wow this is actually awful i feel a bit 
sticks to my stomach a little bit actually you know um, mm. so it does have that kind of shocking bit in the middle um, but yeah absolutely all in all I still think people should see it um, I mean I don't know has, has has she written anything else since then but I'd be kind of keen to, to, to see what else she might come up with you know yeah for a first for a first film my god an amazing job yeah so we hope you enjoyed our spotlight episode focusing on ruby sparks till next time film fans bye see you at the movies where i'll be there with the imaginary girlfriend that i've made up from the short story that i've written Sit down and grab a glass Sinead Ross and I'll have made a podcast It's the real take, breaking it down Having fun and talking movies Talking movies You have been listening to The Real Take Presented by Sinead Brassel, Ross Leahy and Niall O'Brien. Our music was provided by actor, artist and musician Will Guppy. You can find him on Instagram at will.guppy. And you can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at The Real Take Podcast. If you would like to contact us to tell us how fantastic we are, you can reach us at therealtakepodcast at gmail.com. See you at the movies.